This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Rodney Atkinson, thank you for joining me in the trenches again. You're very welcome. For those who who don't know what Free Nations is, uh, what what is it? Well, it's a website I founded about 25 years ago, uh, devoted to reclaiming the sovereignty of the British people from the European Union. As people will know, the European Union is a supranational state which absorbed 28 countries. Now there are only 27 because Britain left, uh, because we voted in 2016 to reclaim our country, our parliament and our democracy. And it was to achieve that that I set up the, the Free Nations website. Uh, the, the European Union became very much in the early 1990s a far more powerful institution with ever more powers over the individual nation states who had been absorbed into it. And then that was really the beginning of the political uh, and also military danger which emanated from the European Union. And that's, of course, when we saw the... Um, undermining of Yugoslavia yes. by German recognition of Croatia, the war in, in Yugoslavia, which broke up the country into the same parts which the Nazis had broken it up into in the, in the war, um, with the resurgence of Nazi movements in Kosovo, in Bosnia, and especially in Croatia. Uh, and uh, Croatia up to, at that time was by far the most overtly Nazi country in Europe. But of course, since then, we've had the rise of the even more overtly Nazi Ukraine. Um, but of course, it all the what's happening today in Ukraine is the ultimate expression of everything I warned about from the mid-1980s onwards, that the European Union was this corporatist and therefore incipiently fascist system based on bureaucracy, te technocratic elites, big business, big government, the end of nation states, the end of democratic sovereignty of the people of those nations, the end of their parliaments because they were just empty shells that could no longer hardly make any significant policy uh, decisions. And of course, the absorption of the economies of all those nation states. So you ended up with a European Union, which was even more extensive than Nazi Germany's con conquest of Europe, uh, and with a very similar characteristics. Indeed, I, I wrote a book with the late Norris McWhorter, who you may remember founded the Guinness Book of Records. And um, he and I wrote a book called Treason at Maastricht. And I did a chapter comparing the structure of the European Union 
or the economic community as it was then, um, with the 1943 plan of uh, Walter Funk, the Nazi, the German Nazi who uh, was responsible for the economy under Nazi Germany and the, the structure that he described for Nazi dominated Europe had it exa its exact equivalent in the structure of the European Union all those years later. Um, anyway, my books and website since uh, the late 1980s described the rise of exactly this corporatist fascism, which we have seen extend the power of the superstate Europe now marching, as indeed Hitler did himself, through Ukraine and attacking Russia. And of course, it's the great myth that somehow one day in February, Vladimir Putin woke up and said, oh, I fancy attacking Ukraine today. Of course, he, he didn't. It's a bit like saying that um, America started the Second World War with an unprovoked attack on Japan. Um, absolute nonsense. And of course, the buildup over 20 years of uh, the expansion of the European Union, the expansion of NATO, moving ever eastwards, just as, as Hitler did. Um, the provocation was so long and so obvious that eventually Putin snapped and we had he had to do something about the threat of his borders through Ukraine. And that's how we've ended up with the, the war in Ukraine and the extreme dangers now of a worldwide conflict, yeah. given the entry of China on the side of Russia. And um, indeed, the vast majority of countries in the world seem to be either on the side of Russia or sympathetic to it. I think there are only 40, at most 40 countries with any showing any sympathy with the Western version with the Ukrainian side. That, that's 40 countries out of 100 and 90 countries altogether. So things are not as we read them in the mass media. And uh, it's something that I have been warning about one way or another for tw over 25 years. My country happens to be one of the uh, somewhat sympathetic countries towards, uh, towards Russia because we're part of BRICS. But Rodney, why is British sovereignty so important? Oh, I suppose sovereignty in general of, of nations. Well, sovereignty in the modern world does not refer to the power of kings. It refers to the self-government of peoples. So democratic sovereignty is the very existence of democracy in nation states. It's no coincidence that democracies arose gradually out of the flowering of nation states in the 19th century and in the 20th century. Because it's when you have a, a reasonably cohesive population where people share basic values and share a language and usually a religion 
and also uh, common physical ground and space that they can work together, that they can accept each other, and they can therefore accept voting. If people go to vote, everyone knows the majority will win, but what do the minority think? And the minority have got to accept the rule of the majority, with safeguards, of course. It can't be an elected dictatorship. But in order to, for the minor, minorities to accept from time to time that they are not in government, they have to be very much part of the society as a whole. And you can get that only really through the nation state. Uh, nation states are different in structure. Some are completely one unity, but most are mixtures. In the United Kingdom, for instance, that United Kingdom is one country but it's made up of Welsh and Scottish and Northern Irish and English. And of course, um, South Africa is made up of various ethnic groups and manages more or less like we do, more or less. To be <laughs> more, more, more or less. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it's not up to me or anyone to say, this is a nation, this is the nation, that's a nation. It's up to each nation to determine itself. And it comes together or it doesn't. If it doesn't, then it breaks up and then it becomes several different nations. Um, unfortunately, in recent years, it, this has happened, this, the, these breakups have happened in, for instance, in Yugoslavia and in Czechoslovakia because of external manipulations, external pressure. And Ukraine was divorced from Russia through external pressure. And for many, many years, by uh, in the case of Yugoslavia and Ukraine, um, the American political class, the uh, German political foundations, and um, the European Union itself, all working on the outside to bring about a change, a revolutionary change in the case of uh, Ukraine in 2004 and again in 2014. I think the so, African uh, Union also have also been trying something similar, although they haven't been terribly successful. I, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of Sudan now. Sudan. Mm, remember they split? Well, they did. I think that was largely religious, was it not? Mm. Uh, I suppose yeah. you could argue that was somewhat organic. I think so. I think that was more organic than um, external. But um, <laughs> even when it's organic, you'll find external powers taking advantage of it. So uh, Absolutely. The Free Nations yes. website that I founded all those years ago, the whole purpose was just, first of all, to extract the nation state called the United Kingdom from the European Union and restore democratic sovereignty and our ability in the world to free to trade freely and to pursue our own prosperity. Um, but it's also been important not just to do that, but to ensure that within the nation states, freedom is dominant. That the people, you can't have a free nation without free people. And we've seen so many attacks 
on individuals, on small businesses, on communities, on families, by the corporatist, corporatist state that my focus for the last six, five or six years has been far more on the threat of corporatism, which is this rather unholy alliance between the big socialist state and big right-wing business. And it's that combination which is so dangerous because the unthinking voter, who most voters, as we know, don't have time to think too much before they vote. They don't have time to study history. They don't have time to study ideology. They don't understand how it came about that we went to wars or what the dangerous ideologies are and, and what their characteristics are. And uh, corporatism is the underlying cause of Nazi systems and fascist systems. And we've seen it all before. And it led to the same oppression that we've seen within countries. It led to the same aggregation of power by big business the same aggregation of power by media organizations, absolute control of messages in, within a country and across countries nowadays, of course, in the world, media. Like Facebook. Well, that's right. I mean, there's just far too much media power concentrated in too few hands. And most of those high-tech hands are, of course, American corporations. That is extremely unusual, it seems to me, that that we should see so much of the world's communication systems dominated, first of all, by so few big tech companies, and secondly, that they should be American. I mean, it's, it's not in anyone's interest that that should be so. The whole basis of power should be dissipated. But of course, it's extremely difficult for people to vote for it when yes. everything they do in life is dominated by the corporations, in particular, and the means of communication. Rodney, um, it's, it's obviously quite important to distinguish between capitalism and corporatism. Indeed, this is the fundamental issue here, that capitalism is about enterprise, freedom of contract, it's about competition, it's about individuals and groups owning shares in a company or in a business or in a family firm and being responsible for what they do with that money. They can't afford to exploit consumers because there's always someone else competing with them and if they exploit their customers, then they will lose those customers. Similarly, governments, if they exploit their voters, they will lose their voters. But if you get aggregations of power in business, an aggregation of power in politics, then people can vote, but they don't have a choice. You end up voting very much for the same kind of government, no matter who you vote for. 
certainly we've we've noticed that in Britain over the last 20, 20 or 30 years. And of course, it is a pernicious system, a pernicious tendency that we have all the structures of democracy with ever decreasing democratic rights and freedoms. One of the other uh, phrases that you've used is uh, what? What is it now? Nationism versus nationalism. There we go. What are What are the differences between those two? Well, nationism versus nationalism is the equivalent of what we just talked about of capitalism versus corporatism. Um, capitalism and nationism and democracy are about freedom, competition, opportunity, no centers of power to exploit other people or other nations. Corporatism is akin to supranationalism, where you get supranational powers dominating nation states and democracy. And in the business field, you get large corporations and multinationals dominating countries. Now, there are two reactions to these movements. One is an excess of nationalism, where people try, which in fact is quite related to the supranationalism. Indeed, I always say the biggest nationalists are the supranationalists. Indeed, if you look at the supranational power of the European Union, what do you see? You see uh, an organization that calls itself a country. It has a flag. It has a national anthem. It has an embryo police system. It has an embryo army and armed forces. Um, it's trying to establish those, but it's 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 on the way to becoming a nationalist entity. And their their idea is to expand their power. Nationalism is full of pride and, in the worst sense, and ambition. And it puts power and the extension of power above democracy. Just like corporatism puts business power above the consumer and, and prosperity in general for the people. So I... that's the difference between nationism. Nationism is not like that at all. Nationism is not nationalism. It is not about extension of power. It's about um, freedom for people within a nation state and the freedom of other nation states to compete with you. And that you offer your goods and services, you offer your ideas, you offer your political system for others to imitate if they wish. And just as competing goods and services, the best will arise and be more successful. So the best constitutions of nationism 
the best nations in the sense of being happy and prosperous and successful and living in peace, they will be, their system will be adopted by other nations. The best systems are when they are bottom up as opposed to top down. Yes, indeed. Um, that That is correct, provided, of course, it is free, freely arrived at and is not the product of a gang. Because after all, what we're fighting against in politics and business now is gangs, gangs who want power, gangs who want monopolies, gangs who want more cartels, gangs who want to control labor, who want to control migration. That's, we don't want that at all. It, it comes from the bottom up in the sense of people in their everyday lives making free decisions, which means buying goods and services for other free people to provide to them. And success comes from the democratic accountability of the political and the business side of that society. I've got a great so question. It, it, it's spontaneous. It is bottom up. You're right. But it has to be spontaneous, not 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 organizing a different kind of gang on, For sure. on, the, on the ground, as it were, to fight the gangs up there, because that, that is a recipe for conflict and disaster. Um, I've got a great question from um, Claire. Uh, she wants to know what is the difference between tribalism, populism and the nation state? Tribalism, yes. Well, of course, the tribalism is an earlier version, if you like, of um, ethnic identity. And an ethnic identity is an earlier version of a nation state. Or, for instance, um, uh, the United Kingdom is a nation state, but it is a nation state of nations. The Scots, the Irish, the, the Northern Irish, the Welsh and the English. Tribes were what they were previously broken down into a thousand years ago. Um, now, populism, that is a swear word used by the establishment to describe the rise of democratic power that they disagree with. You, it's extraordinary that anyone could use as a swear word, effectively, mm. as a condemnation, that which appeals to and is representative of the people in general. But yeah, that's it was exactly a... what these people do, and it shows exactly how yes. they think. How it was a term, wasn't it? arrogant they are to use the word populist to describe what are democratic movements. Wasn't it used when Trump um, came to came to power? Yes, and of course also in the European Union, whenever the nation states and the peoples in them try to rebel against the European Union itself, that populism is used there as as well, condemning them for being. Um, reactionary or whatever words they take. But of course, it's, it's not the way at all. They are people who recognize, it's taken them a long time to recognize it, mind, but they recognize that they do no, no longer live 
in their own nation state. They no longer have a parliament with powers. They elect people who don't seem to make any difference. And the real decisions are taken in Brussels by bureaucrats, manipulated by whichever uh, government in Europe happens to be most powerful economically at the time, whether it be Germany or France or whatever. And so the, the Germans, I mean, the interesting thing is in Germany, how in, I used to live in Germany and it was a very prosperous place when I was there, but I went, I've been back several times since. And the last time was about 10 years ago. And I was absolutely astonished how, how much sort of po poverty there was, which I'd never seen before in the places that I knew. And so, ironically, although Germany is extremely wealthy as a country, and has done extremely well out of the European Union, um, the German people themselves in general have not done well. And that is, that is certainly true in even more so in those countries which have suffered economically from, this, from the Euro, like Spain, Italy, Greece, and Ireland from time to time as well, that uh, the, the power of the supranational state doesn't really have much time for individuals and families and communities and the populations in general. Their aim is the power of the supranational state. It's economic power. Mm. It's will to dominate Europe in general and other parts of the world by by extension. So anyway, the alienation process has been long lasting and people have at last woken up Britain. Mm. The British people were the first, of course, to actually extract themselves from the European Union. Uh, and people are always saying, well, which country will be next? I'm not sure that people, will it be the poorest countries like Italy or Greece? Or will they be too intimidated to try to go on their own? And, uh, would it be Germany itself? Just like the Soviet Union broke up because Russia was no longer prepared to pay the bill for the other countries within the Soviet Union. Mm. Will Germany say it's too much? We can't pay for everything anymore. Um, so we, we will leave the European Union. And of course, then the whole thing will collapse. But Rodney, I read a, a, a book a few years ago by Douglas Murray called The Strange Death of Europe. And he mentions that, that phrase that the mainstream hates, and that's mass immigration. Is mass immigration a variable in, in that poverty um, equation? Well, obviously it is because, um, uh, first of all, the cause of the mass immigration has been, once again, a combination of the left and right, just like corporatism and fascism are the left and right getting together. The left promote mass, mass migrations in order to undermine the nation state and undermine democracy. The right, big business, they promote mass migrations because it makes labor cheap. And uh, 
they want to break down the barriers between nation states so they can trade their goods more profitably. So there's a unholy alliance between the left and the right and the, the power of the state. And of course, the state has a power of its own. It, it's increasingly impossible for the people to be represented in the state, mainly because the representatives of the people are voted, are whom the people vote to go to parliament to represent them against the state. Their representatives are paid by the state. They're given a salary, they're given expense accounts, they're given pensions. And the loyalty of these people who end up in our parliaments are, first of all, to the party, but secondly, to the system, to the state system. And the state is not the same as the people, never has been, whether it was under the king or whether it's under so-called democracy. Um, there are the state goes on and on and on. People come, they make businesses, they die, but the state goes on and on and on, and it accumulates power generation after generation, and expands and expands until people, even the, you 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 can't even say actually that that there are some evil dictators within the state who control it all or that there are evil businessmen who are controlling us all. Obviously, some people have far too much power. Multinational billionaires, for instance. But in general, as these state systems, political systems get bigger and bigger and more complicated, and corporate power gets bigger and bigger and more complicated, you find that there are there's virtually no one who understands what's going on inside them. A good example in the city of London are these extremely complicated financial instruments, derivatives, um, the uh, cyber currencies, for instance. These things are so complicated that very few people understand their implications. And there are trillions of dollars worth based on these complicated systems. And that's all because we've allowed the aggregation of power. And it is extremely dangerous economically, financially, and politically. I mean, Peter Hitchens said a couple of years ago that I think he said both conservatism and the West is dead. Well, you could also say that um, in the West, uh, socialism is dead as well, uh, because it no longer represents the working class, for instance. Um, it, it is perfectly happy to work with big business. Um, it's perfectly happy to see uh, to join multinational, supranational powers like the European Union, which take away the power of, of, the, of their working class, as they used to call it. So you could say that both conservatism and socialism have been compromised or 
destroyed, and as indeed they have, because they've aggregated themselves as the left moved right in Britain under Tony Blair, and the right moved left under people like Major and May and Cameron. They ended up in this, and Cameron actually called himself the heir to Blair. This just shows you how much the, the corporatist, socialist, statist elites, sorry, elitists, these are not elites, they are, they are elitists, they're people who think they are elite. But they are the product of a whole system of education, promotion, corporatization, collectivization of capital. And they, none of them are there on their own account. They are all the product of a system working their way up through it without any particular, I mean, I am self-employed. I, I have been for 40 years, but the people in parliament, hardly any of them have ever been like that at all. None of them have had to save, invest in themselves, invest in jobs, in assets, employ other people, be accountable for their lives and their business. They don't do that. They are sustained artificially, if you like, by the system. And uh, they feel as if they are immune, immune to criticism, immune to poverty, immune to losing their job, um, immune to being poor in old age, because they are able to sign checks for themselves within the system. And uh, therefore, with, while they don't understand the whole, they're just a, a cog in the machine. I mean, that's true of prime ministers and cabinet ministers as well nowadays. Um, they, they really haven't got any leadership characteristics at all. Look at the present leadership competition or election in the British Conservative Party. The, um, the two contenders that the MPs have presented to the members of the party to vote for are just not credible with the members of the party. They are, they are so, they're seen as so poor <laughs> that people actually would prefer to vote for Boris Johnson again, despite him being uh, an, an absolute disaster. But what you're saying applies also to the United States. Oh, yes, it, it applies to virtually all countries. Um, ironically, <laughs> it's the, um, the, the communist dictatorships and other forms of more authoritarian rule that tend to throw up the leaders. That's why you get people like Z in, in uh, China and people like uh, Putin in um, Russia who are head and shoulders above any Western leader. You just have to hear them speak. Uh, they're, they are intellectually aware, they're ideologically aware, 
they understand the international situation. And for instance, here in Britain, the next prime minister looks like being Liz Truss. She is at present foreign minister and she is an embarrassment on the international stage. She confuses the west of Russia with the east of Ukraine. She doesn't know the difference between the Baltic Sea and the Black Sea. Now, I'm not saying she's unique in her ignorance of her brief, because there's a lot of competition in the in that. But that is, I'm afraid, typical of so-called leaders in the Western world. I mean, even Germany, a powerful country with a fantastic intellectual tradition, has a, a chancellor who is extremely poor, who, who, who seems to be lost half the time, can't make a decision. When he makes one, he then goes back on it. Um, Macron is a, is a joke. I mean, he, he now he has little power in parliament because He's in a, his party's in a minority. Italy has been ruled by a technocrat for a long time, and that technocrat has now resigned, and they are in crisis. It's extremely difficult in the West, given the corporatist nature of politics and economics, for leaders to emerge. And if a leader does emerge among the people, you would normally expect him to be taken up by the media. But there we have who are the media? They are the corporatists as well. You know, they are um, in a world of their own. They're not accountable to the people who read their rubbish because all the other media outlets are printing the same rubbish. So there's nowhere else to go, if you see what I mean, just like there's nowhere else to go in political party terms. And it's all because of this aggregation of power and corporatist um, distortion of the democratic system. What is your prognosis? <laughs> well, there's obviously going to have to be a massive um, reaction to the present decadence. And this decadence, of course, has arisen over decades of uh, economic, financial, fiscal distortions, um, protection, monopolies, cartels. Um, and it's very difficult to see how it's going to be broken down. I mean, we are very fortunate that it's the worst of this process has happened recently, just as the internet started to boom. So the internet provides alternatives. I mean, I could never do an interview like this on any mainstream media, as you know. And there are thousands of people like me with different skills, different intellectual backgrounds, different medical views, for instance, on, on things like COVID and the World Health Organization. There are plenty of alternative views on um, so-called climate change. Um, interesting, isn't it? They used to say, they used to say man-made global warming. Then they said <laughs> no, global warming, and now they say climate change. 
It's all propaganda, that's why. In, in, in other words, when people change their position as often as that, you smell a rat. It is in, it is in the interests of hundreds of large corporations yes. who will take ex advantage of the trillions of pounds that governments will be putting in, are putting in, to the climate change crisis, so-called crisis. And so actually they are very happy. And so in other words, there's plenty of, uh, plenty of remuneration available to those people who go along with the, the established orthodoxy. Actually, one of the things that you see as a result of the destruction of democracy, I don't know, I mean, I just go through some of the names that are promoted every day in the media. Klaus Schwab, Tony Blair, Prince Charles, Prince William, the Markles, you know, Harry and his wife, Greta Thunberg, George Soros, David Attenborough, all these people, what have they got in common? They are not elected. None of them are elected, never have been, never will be, but they dominate the headlines with their fatuous political ideas with absolutely no background which will justify them being listened to at all. And of course, in the case of technocrats and supranationalists like Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum, he's a man who started many years ago organizing business conferences. Well, fair enough, nothing wrong with that. But when, when you think that you can then organize business and government and the media, and that's what they do. Those, those are the three ingredients that always used to go to Bilderberg meetings. They now go to the World Economic Forum. Business, media, and government. And they try to tie up what's going to happen to the world. And, and they give the impression that they're important and everyone at the meeting is important. And therefore what they say and think will probably happen tomorrow. And sure enough, by osmosis, it does. It, not surprising. If people turn up to meetings and they hear only those people, then they tend to have only one view. And of course, we all know democracy is about several views, not one. Well, I think there's no doubt about it that the corporatists, the great resetters, um, they have been rumbled to a large extent. And once again, the internet is extremely important. Whenever someone stands up as a so-called democratic politician, then you see, ah, but they are regular attendees at the WF meetings, WEF, and um, they can be marked as someone who's not quite trustworthy. And of course, you could say, oh, well, that's unfair. They may not you know, fall in with that. I mean, even Margaret Thatcher went to a Bilderberg meeting only once and she never went again. Uh, so you can easily be tarnished. Well, the point is simple enough. If you go to these meetings and you're not, you think it's wrong or you don't like what you hear as a politician, then you should say so. I will never go to that group again. It's not my job to hobnob with multinational corporations and Klaus Schwab, it's my job to represent you, the people, and that's what I will do when I get to Parliament. And uh, there are the incredible thing about some internet sites is how 
many millions of people they have. I wish I had just a fraction <laughs> of that number. Um, but uh, it, I think it can be done through the alternative media, through the internet. And, um, and I think one of the main areas where corporatism has been most destructive and indeed deadly is in the World Health Organization and its handling and the handling uh, of the COVID crisis by them and by national governments. I mean, the vaccine has been an absolute disaster. Um, naturally, they say, oh, well, the cases are going down. Well, of course they're going down. That's what happens in an epidemic. You know, all epidemics in the past of cases go up and then they come down again. Actually, this one has been extended by, if anything, by the vaccinations. Well, but I mean, anyway, the, the point is, how it's could not really vaccines. The vaccine, it's not really a vaccine, yes, that's mm. right. Even that they can't get right. Um, and of course, we're seeing all sorts of things now about the Pfizer trials of the of the of the uh, RNA vaccine, and um, that they hid the deaths which they knew were happening. Mm. I mean, these are extremely. Uh, criminal acts by the medical by the medical and, and pharmaceutical industry and as in so many other things they need to be brought to account and perhaps they will be and people will see when they see corruption in the health service in the tech companies in broadcasting in charities i mean charities really are the biggest load of um con men you know, the Clintons set up a charity. Harry and Meghan set up a charity. Everyone who's on the make, on the fiddle, trying to make money for not doing anything much in particular, sets up a charity of some sort. And there are enormous sources of corruption, as we've seen, actually. I mean, even so-called respectable charities like Oxfam, you know, they were involved with really obnoxious activities in Haiti, for instance. They're a propaganda organization. That's right. They are. And they, and they, they, they don't have to pay tax on their profits like everyone mm. else. I mean, they have these shops in the high street. They, don't, they only pay 20% of the business rates of everyone else. They get their, their product free from donations. And the people selling the things are working for nothing. I mean, yeah, what a business model is that? And then when they make a, a profit, it's not taxed mm. because they're a charity. I mean, that's another classic corporatist area of corruption. And if all these begin to be exposed by the press, and you never know, I mean, you know, eventually one of the mainstream media, newspapers, magazines, broadcasters, will say, hold on, no one else is covering this. We need a scoop. I mean, you, this the word scoop you never hear anymore. You? <laughs> you, you can't have a scoop when everyone's marching in the same direction. And anything outside your direction is uh, 
what they call it. Oh, it's fake news. That's right. <laughs> now you, you have a monopoly of knowledge, so you don't need to listen to anyone else outside the, the bubble. My personal feeling is to decentralize basically all these major structures. Um, are you in agreement? Yes, because that's exactly um, what I believe should have been the case in Europe. We had these historic nation states with their affinities, their loyalties, their relatively recent, in some cases, democratic systems and parliaments. Um, but they were all destroyed effectively by a supranationalist corporatist cabal that decided it was better to put people together to make more money and business, big business supported them. And that meant centralizing decision-making in Brussels. So everyone who wanted a favor from the government of the European Union just had one place to go to, one door to knock on. And so there's an inherent tendency to centralize in business, in politics, and as we've as we've seen in even in medicine through the WHO, I mean, the uh, the people I can't remember the quote from the founder of the one of the founders of the World Health Organization, but it was quite horrific individual who uh, you know he's just a megalomaniac, and that they see an opportunity in suffering, they see an opportunity in a crisis. No, never let a good crisis go by without taking advantage of it. That's that's the kind of people they are. And um, I'm afraid this corporatist infection has affected so many of the, those institutions that dominate our lives that it'll take quite some time, first of all, for people to understand what I'm talking about. And secondly, to attack it. I mean, there there is there are they, uh, there are attacks. People call it uh, what I'm talking about. I suppose they talk about crony capitalism because they can see executives and big corporations paying themselves millions and millions of pounds while their employees are on on poor wages, and so they can see that they can understand that they don't understand the overall supranational corporatist system which produces that but at least they understand in micro detail what's happening to them and why it's unjust similarly i think in the health system in britain the nationalized sickness services i call it the national health service which is a vast monopoly of 1.25 million employees spends 200 billion pounds a year um, and uh, is one of the worst health services in the world. I, well, you, you've got to watch the private system. The trouble is there's so little competition in the private mm. system because the state systems dominate. So it's difficult to get a, a, a vibrant competitive system going. It's very difficult to, to manage health. There's no doubt about it. But we certainly know that um, a purely insurance-based system can be very expensive. 
Mm. And we know that a pure state system is extremely expensive. And we know that from the National Health Service in Britain. And it's it requires an intelligent, uh, emancipated alternative to those two extremes. Certainly Britain hasn't got it. And I probably, I don't know, America probably hasn't either. They spend, they waste billions in insurance, I think. I'm hoping we won't have to have a massive crash and mass unemployment before people can build up a new and a de democratic and prosperous system on the on the remains. Um, but there are signs, as I say, of people looking through the curtain, seeing the corruption behind broadcasting media, health, charities, democracy itself. They, I mean, democracy has also been corporatized. As I, as I said before, you know, we, we get a vote, but we end up with no choice between those to vote for. And we find that when we've voted, and not so much in this country, or probably in South Africa either, but, but in America, you find you've voted, and then you end and you see your ballot paper being manipulated through counting machines. And who runs the counting machines? The large corporations. Well, you know, needless to say, you don't have to be um, a conspiracy theorist to see that that is extremely dangerous. But I mean, so it's infected every aspect of life, but they are being exposed in each of yes. these areas. And if they're uh, exposed and people know about them, they can vote for other people who will say they will tackle it. I was about to say the war in Ukraine, that is going to be or is being a massive defeat for the mm. Western world and from the, the corporatist cliques that run them. And that will also help to undermine their authority within the Western so-called democratic system. I mean, one of the great ironies is there was a time when you could regard Russia and China as being totalitarian communist systems, you know, no free elections, mm. no popular power. But then you, you suddenly find that's exactly what we've got here. You know, we can't trust our vote. We don't get proper elections. Our governments don't represent us. Big business seems to make all the decisions. We can't speak freely. We can't speak freely. We're censored. We're deplatformed. That's exactly what was happening in Soviet Russia and which happens today in China. So <laughs> um, everyone is, I hope, recognizing this now and that the credibility of this rather corrupt corporatist class in the West that their days are numbered and we can elect uh, a new set of democratic parliaments and maintain the homogeneity of the nation states to sustain those parliaments and sustain democracy. And uh, that people will learn that they shouldn't be following the unelected in the tabloid newspapers, but mm follow the elected in the in the real discussions in real newspapers not only is google a big company but it can actually direct 
hundreds of millions of people into into certain directions. I mean, that's immense power. It, it is. Um, it's it's no different from what the rest of the mainstream media are doing, but it's doing it on a gigantic scale. At least when you pick up a newspaper, you you do it consciously. You know that if it's a Guardian, it's left wing. If it's Telegraph, it's conservative, um, etc. And uh, you can read what you want in the paper. But the power that Google has, it can actually direct you away from what you want to read in the first place. You know, you can't even get to first base. I mean, I know plenty of things that I need to look up about, about what's happening in Russia or China or Ukraine or India, and you can't find it by Googling it at all. You've got to go on on the alternatives. It, this is all part of the, the what we have nowadays is not just differences of opinion and difference of ideology. We have a difference between those who are prepared to accept alternatives and those who are dictators and exclude alternatives from the beginning. They, uh, they regard anything outside their experience and their opinion and their narrative to be almost criminal. Indeed, they often use words like that. And that, of course, is totalitarianism at its worst. That's exactly the, what the Nazis thought of people who opposed Nazism, exactly what uh, the fascists thought of those who opposed fascism. Well, exactly it's the same if you Soviet oppose communism thought about those who were, yeah. etc. Black Lives Matter, um, the same thing. Total, the word is totalitarian. It's a closed mind, a closed system, and eventually mm. a closed prison for everyone. But I mean, it's 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 deliberate propagandizing. Well, it's worse than propaganda because propaganda, you say, well, you know, that is opinions being expressed, different opinions being expressed, but they exclude a whole world of experience and opinion by edict, by complete cutting it out yes so that, you know that that is completely different and of course the whole that's that's what corporatism is about when you get big corporations big cartels business working with government no one else gets a, a look in and they won't tolerate alternatives either they are completely they're so powerful that they can exclude alternatives and therefore truth. How do we arrive at truth or truths? By looking at alternatives. So when you exclude an mm. alternative, be it in business, in markets, in politics, in ideology, then not only ironically are you a dictator and a totalitarian, but eventually you've got nothing to compare yourself with. So you don't know where you are either. Mm. You know I mean, you undermine your own position by not allowing alternatives to be put. I know I, if I have an opinion, I look at alternatives and I make my own opinion stronger because of it. But that's how you end up, you know, with yeah. a, a so-called democracy, which doesn't allow alternatives. 
and it turns very rapidly into into a dictatorship. The same people, you know, the same country, the same parliament. It's a dictatorship because they excluded the challenge to what they were doing. Have you ever asked Siri um, if Black Lives Matter? <laughs> no. Okay, t- take a listen. I hope you can hear this. Hey Siri, do Black Lives Matter? Yes, Black Lives Matter. Okay, so that was the answer. Yes, Black Lives Matter, right? Okay. Hey Siri, do all lives matter? I appreciate your interest in politics, but it's not a part of my programming. This is a good <laughs> conversation to have with a fellow human. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Yep, that's right. George Orwell couldn't have made it up, could he? Well, they're all uh, working to a formula, to an, a set of instructions which they have in front of them on their desk or for, on their computer. They are dr- drones, you know, from the animal world, from bees. They are the drones that do the work. They don't think, they just do. And the bigger the corporation, the more drones you have and the fewer decision makers you have. And the fewer people have any control at all over that company in terms of shareholders, for instance. I mean, shareholders and big corporations are people like you and me, but we don't know we are. People with pensions and they don't know they are shareholders in a particular corporation. So they have no power. The drones have no power. The managerial structure is full of people trying to get up the next rung. And the people at the top are just happy that they've got up to the top. But they are not, they don't look at that corporation like you look at your podcast or I look at my business. You know, we are absolutely daily accountable for what we do. If we fail or we're not wanted anymore, then that's just tough luck. But these people are there for good. Where can I find you? Well, freenations.net, which has my work over the last 25 plus years. Um, The uh, principal promotion there is the concept of nationism, also of... uh, democratic capitalism, the democratic sovereignty of the nation state, of uh, the emancipated society, which we haven't talked about, but it is the name of a book I wrote in 1988, which uh, um, discusses the definitions of legitimate roles of government so that they do not dominate people but emancipate people and that there are legitimate roles of government and illegitimate roles. And because we weren't aware of this and we allowed government just to have power for power's sake and corporations to have power for power's sake, this is how we've got into the position we are in. Mm. So um, I think that book I wrote, what's that, 35 years ago now, um, I think that's relevant today. Rodney Atkinson, thank you for joining me in the trenches. Thank you very much indeed.
My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.